Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your host, Matt Zemek. Uh, Saki Bali is producing this episode, and it's a very special one here at Tennis with an Accent. Uh, Serena Jamika Williams, an icon, a legend, one of the greatest athletes of our time, and quite arguably the greatest tennis player of our time. Uh, called it a career Friday night, losing to Ayla Tomjanovic in the third round of the U.S. Open, a stirring three-set battle, which went over three hours. And in Serena's final U.S. Open match, the final match of her career, assuming that she doesn't unretire, uh, it was the first U.S. Open match in her career to go over three hours. It was the longest U.S. Open match of her career, symbolic of how she fought against time so well to the very end of her career. And so uh, we try to make sense of this storied, remarkable tennis journey with a, a serenologist, you know, someone who is an expert on Serena, who's you know spent much of her life as a tennis fan and tennis observer following Serena Williams and the Williams sisters. And that is Brianna Faust. And you can find her on Twitter at for the tennis, the number four, the tennis. And we are delighted to have Bree back on the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Thank you, Bree. Thanks for having me, Stockton and Matt. It's been a long time, and I'm glad to chat with you guys again. Could, couldn't want, couldn't have a better guest uh, on on this particular person, this particular topic. And uh, to start things off, when did you become a fan of the Williams sisters? What drew drew you to them? I mean, I mean, I, I imagine that a lot of fans have some similar experiences, but you know, for each individual, there are some nuances, there are some particularities, there are some aspects that uh you know make the story unique and give it extra resonance so what what is your story in terms of you know how how you connected to Serena and the Williams sisters well I I'm kind of a late Serena era fan um I mean my first tournament watching her was in 2007 I didn't grow up being a tennis fan I never really watched I knew who Venus and Serena were but I didn't really know much more than that, that they were incredible athletes and people looked up to them. And I had a really good friend in high school who was in love with tennis and played. And, you know, she was kind of goading me, like, you should get into the sport. It's kind of interesting. There's this Federer guy, there's Nadal, you know, and of course there's the Williams sisters. And so I started watching at the 2007 Australian Open and to get an entrance into Serena, I think that's one of the best tournaments you could have. Um, she was coming back from a layoff. Everyone was counting her out. She was out of shape. And of course, as we know, she ended up winning the tournament in a dominant fashion in the final. So yeah, that's my Serena origin. All right. So, you know, we'll get into some details of Serena's career as we go along, but let's start with the big picture question, you know, and everyone's going to have a different, point of emphasis when talking about the L word, and that is legacy. Uh, what, what's your read? How do you come at the question of what Serena Williams' legacy is? And it could be as a tennis player. It could be as an athlete. You can go in any direction you want. Just what's your read on Serena Williams' leg legacy properly understood? It's, it's so hard to, to sum up her legacy because there's so many ways that you could describe Serena and how her influence will linger on. I mean, the most obvious one is how we see more African-American tennis players playing. Um, I've seen Coco mention that she wouldn't be playing tennis without Serena and Venus. Francis Tiafo even mentioned that as well. Um, we have Sloan Stevens, Madison Keys. There's just so many more players that have been inspired by the Williams sisters. There's even, you know, non-African-American players like Garbina Muguruza. She gave an excellent... Uh, uh, retirement post for Serena. She said she was so emotional that she even cried. And that's someone who's from Venezuela. And she said her mother was inspiring her to look up to these strong fighting women who are in the sport and to try and follow that legacy. So that's the easiest one to think of. But just when I think of her in tennis, it goes through entertainment. You know, we have to think that she's one of the most electrifying tennis players we've ever seen. I mean, look at the ticket sales for the first week. Sold out record numbers in Ash, uh, putting doubles on 
primetime viewing. Um, we could even go back in time to 2001 when the Williams sisters first played each other and they ushered in women's tennis into the primetime um, time slot. So it's just, there's just so many ways to go. Um, we could go from how she's showed players that you can have a life and other interests and career um, besides tennis and still be great in your tennis career. You know, she does fashion, she does jewelry, she's investing now. Um, there's just so many ways Serena was, is excellent and you can be inspired by her. Um, I know I'm not doing her legacy justice right now because I'm just doing a brief overview, but man, I just, there's just so much to think of. I'll probably think in a few days about how she's inspired, but just as a fan, how she's inspired me is just, I mean, she's made my life so much better just by watching her through tennis. I've been able to travel and go to these tournaments and meet new people and just be excited by a sport that I never would have probably been as interested in without the Williams sisters. I think that's their legacy. It's just making tennis accessible to all, making it a multi-million dollar sport for women. You know, the highest paid athletes in the world are women's tennis players now. And I think that's incredible. What do you, what do you think, Matt? Well, I, there, there are a lot of things, things that I think about it, but I, I have to follow up with this uh, particular question. And that is that, you know, you know, your story about, uh, you know, Garbina Muguruza, you know, being moved to tears and being emotionally overwhelmed by, you know, the occasion of, of Serena's career ending and, and being so, so inspired by Serena you know, yet with a completely different uh, life experience and perspective. So is the inspiration from so many different corners of the world, literally, uh, do you think, wh what do you think is like the main tent pole or the main foundation of it? Is it just the excellence itself? Is it the fact that they came from Compton and, uh, you know, a well-known part of their story, you know, coming up from a very hard scrabble upbringing under Richard and Orisine, is it that Serena, you know, has had significant health problems that she almost died, you know, that she's gone through several significant interruptions in her career and was able to pick herself back up after each of those disruptions? Is it the fact that, you know, what they endured at Indian Wells, which kept them away from the Indian Wells tournament for a long time, you know, dealing with racism? Uh, there are a lot of different kind of rivers that flow in and from uh, Serena Williams' life, uh, and, and not just as a tennis player, but as a public figure, you know, of those different rivers, uh, which which do you think really resonates for uh, people? You know, I mean, you you've gone to tournaments, you talk to other tennis fans, you get to see and hear what other people think about Serena Williams. So, like when 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 the discussion would go to Serena, and you would be able to talk to someone else maybe in the stands at a tennis match or, you know, at a hospitality area, you know, having lunch, you know, in between matches at a, at a tennis tournament, like when, when you, when, you know, you would be able to sit down with other people and the discussion would go to Serena. What, where did the discussions go? How, how would uh, all of you find meaning uh, from uh, uh, exploring Serena in a deeper way? I think the one thing that will resonate the most is just her resilience. You know, in your summary, just thinking about all the times or all the things that have happened to Serena in her lifetime since we've been watching her and how she's still come back and maintained her excellence. Um, when we, when I think back to 2007, the reason why she wasn't playing tennis was because her sister was murdered through gang, through gang violence. You know, um, and that's just devastating alone. Many people couldn't come back to that. And to, to grieve in the public and to deal with those emotions, it's, it's very hard. And I don't understate that. And I think that's something that's kind of overlooked. Like her family has endured many tragedies together. You know, the racism in Indian Wells, the death of her sister, her health issues, almost losing her life, um, giving birth to her child and not being taken seriously by the doctors when she had a history of pulmonary embolism. It's, I think the enduring message is just standing up for yourself and fighting with all that you have and not letting the different things in life limit you. Like Serena is truly limitless when I think of her career, you know? We, we can talk about Margaret Court and all that stuff, but 
at the end of the day, Serena is the open era leader in Grand Slams, man or woman. No one else has won more than her. Um, Roth is the closest right now, but right now Serena, oh, and excuse me, Steffi Graf, don't let me forget her. But um, yeah, it's just, oh man, it's just that resilience, I think. It's no other player could say that they've really gone through all these hardships or even come from nothing, you know? We think about how their career was started by their father who just saw a woman winning a large check on TV and was like, I want my daughters to do that. Serena and Venus weren't even born yet when Richard had those thoughts. And for him to see him and Orsine, to see that vision through and to actually have his daughters be as successful as he envisioned is truly a miraculous story in itself. And I'm very happy that they made the movie last year, King Richard, because I think that gives a clue to everyone about how the odds were against them. Like, I truly do believe the Williams sisters are the greatest story in sports because of what we witnessed. And, and that Richard Williams is the greatest coach uh, in any sport, anywhere, anytime. Uh, I, I, I'm, I certainly feel comfortable in that view, that there's no piece of coaching greater than what Richard Williams uh, has done uh, with, with his daughters. Um, and, we ha- and we have to give props to Orison too, because she was right there. Uh, she was actually absolutely. the one with Serena a lot of the times because <laughs> Richard was with Venus, who was the prototype, you know? Absolutely. There's no question about that. Well, you asked me what I think, and I know that, you know, I'm turning to you, the, the Serena expert for insights, but in terms of, you know, where my thoughts go to uh, on the subject of Serena Williams, you know, again, this is a career with so many different periods, so many different chapters, you know, divided by the injuries and the tragedies uh, and almost dying, you know, all of these major, major uh, earth shattering moments. And there are, and then you have the periods in between those earth shattering moments when she played great tennis and then was able to, you know, pick herself back up each time and resume playing brilliant tennis. It's an absolutely extraordinary uh, uh, reflection of her competitive will and drive, uh, her desire not only to be great, but to want to continue being great and loving tennis so much that, you know, that the larger experience of being tennis didn't become a chore. Now, maybe dealing with the media, that might have been a chore, but playing tennis was always cherished by Serena. That's certainly something which comes across. And and flowing from that larger theme of resilience, that's where, you know, the, that really seems to be the, uh, one of the central themes of our conversation here, Bree. Uh, you know, she didn't win a major after uh, becoming a mom, but... She made all those major finals. She made the you know major finals in 2018 and 2019. And it took great performances to beat her in those major finals. And so, you know, like, okay, so she didn't get to 24, but here she was in her late 30s. And after, you know, lots of time off due, you know, in 2018, it was more about the motherhood break but in in 2019 you know had some had some injuries and you know she would she would labor through a uh, a french open and you know wh- where she was rusty due to having lots of time off um and it didn't seem as though her body was going to be ready for wimbledon and the u.s open and she'd make the final in both and so you know she didn't she didn't win the championship you know especially in 2019 didn't win the title but man making a wimbledon and u.s open final back to back uh, at that stage of her career, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you know, and then the pandemic came and, and like that was a, you know, a larger scale disruption for everybody on tour. I think the 2018 and 2019 seasons, they're, they're going to get overlooked because there wasn't, uh, you know, another parade of championships. But that rates right up there with the other great things that Serena Williams has done. So that that that's you know, my main insight into uh, her story, because, you know, other people will talk about, you know, the, the Dementieva match uh, at Wimbledon, uh, you know, thir- 13 years ago, one of the great matches ever. And, you know, how she dominated Sh- Maria Sharapova in, you know, the, the rivalry that really wasn't the rivalry because it was so lopsided. Um, that There are going to be the stories about, 
you know, the other mountaintop moments in her career, how she ascended in 2002, 2003. Uh, and then also, of course, you know, nearly winning the true Grand Slam uh, in, uh, in uh, 2015. Um, but that 2018-19 period, it's going to get overlooked. And, and I'm here to say, like, that is precisely the, the kind of thing that we shouldn't overlook uh, in her career. So, so Brie, I mean, there are many different periods in this luminous, towering, iconic, unforgettable career. And you did say that you, you were kind of late in your Serena fandom, that it wasn't uh, a case of, you know, the 1999 U.S. Open. It was later down the road. But you've been able to, of course, evaluate Serena's career in full and looking at these various stages in between the tragedies that have befallen her and the severe health problems uh, that affected her and, and how you know her career had to come to a halt on multiple occasions and she had to hit the reset button numerous times. So <clears throat> within these various periods, there's obviously a large platter of choices that we can select from in terms of the best match she's ever played, the most important matches she's ever played, uh, the turn like the hinge point matches that really helped her along. So you can pick and choose any of those different subcategories that I've just named, or you can go in your own direction. Luck more broadly, Brie, just what are some of the matches that really stand out to you as being special or significant in Serena Williams' career? Well, I, I would like to to start with the 2018-2019 season. Um, I think, like you said, I think that is an overshadowed part of her career. And I, and I honestly, thinking back on it, I'm thankful that Serena came back. I will say that I honestly thought she was going to retire after the 2017 Australian Open. I, I didn't see any reason for her to come back. I thought she would be happy and satisfied um, being with her daughter and becoming a mother, but I'm so thankful now that she came back for those last couple of years because I feel like that gave us a more human side to Serena. Um, just seeing how much she loved her daughter and how much it kind of, how much tennis demands from a player and how much you must sacrifice to be great. And to see that even for Serena, she's having to make those choices now on whether she should pursue tennis or try to have another child. Um, which is incredible at 40 years old that she even still has that choice. Um, but yeah, I'm just really thankful to have those years, like you were saying. But um, to get to my favorite match, I want to start with the, the most iconic match from Serena's career, the, the 2012 Wimbledon gold medal match. Um, I honestly believe that that tournament from Serena is one of the greatest tournaments we've ever seen from a tennis player. Um, we always bring up Wimbledon 2008 with Vidal or um, a Djokovic and Rafa 2013 or, you know, any other epic match. But from beginning to end, she just totally dominated everyone. And it was just scary how she was that dominant because at Wimbledon a few weeks earlier, you know, she had a very tough final against Aga Radwanska. And I was just watching that um the other day when ESPN was re-airing it. And I think that might be one of my favorite matches from Serena, that final, because during that whole tournament, she hit more aces than the men. She hit more, haste, more aces than anyone. And I just thought that was just such incredible. And in that final against Radwanska, she's down. And it's just so Serena where she hits four unreturnable serves in a row. And that was the match, you know. Um, so that's my favorite. Um, well, not my true favorite, but that's one of my favorite moments. The US, the Olympic run is probably my top favorite. Um, I love the 2013 season. There's just so many great matches. I have to do seasons with Serena because there's just so many great matches to choose from, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we we, we, you know about... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that probably oof, even the 2015 season where she was very struggling to win those three major finals in a row to get to the New York. Um, we can talk about her infamous flu 
a final against, a, well, not the final, but she played Tamira Baczynski. And that was very tough. We thought she was going to lose there. And then she comes out against Safarova in the final and just completely hangs with her and fights through her this sickness where she's like coughing so hard she's throwing up, you know, during the match. Um, so, yeah, what, what were you going to say, Matt? There's just, just so many to choose from. Yeah, well, no, my, my next question was going to be, uh, you know, among the various non-Venus uh, opponents that Serena has played in her career, you know, which, which matches involving Serena were the, were the ones that you enjoyed the most, or perhaps the other side of the coin, or perhaps a different way of phrasing that question is, what non-Venus opponent in your mind brought out the best in Serena? Uh, because, you know, that we can look at different, uh, periods of her career. We can look at Dementieva, you know, that memorable Wimbledon match. We can look at Azarenka, you know, at the U.S. Open, those two uh, back-to-back years. Um, and then we saw opponents uh, in later years, the Simona Halep, uh, Angie Kerber in 2016 became a, a foremost uh, opponent in big stage matches. Is there an opponent which uh, stands out to you in terms of, like, I really enjoyed Serena playing that player uh, in a big stage match? Well, you know, the petty in me will always say Maria Sharapova. Um, I know everyone likes to say it was the non-rivalry, but I truly believe Sharapova would bring out the very best in Serena. Um, she would never want to lose a point to, to Sharapova. And I, I love their matches, even though they weren't dominant, um, weren't the best fights all the time. Um, I just love that Sharapova never gave up. You know, she tried to not give Serena an inch, even though Serena took many feet in their matches. Um, I just, I just love those two powerful women going against each other. That was fun. I love Victoria Azarenka's finals with her. I love their competitive spirit. Those two U.S. Open finals are some of my favorite from Serena. Um, let's see. There's Halep. There's Kerber. I even loved the Sloan Stevens uh, early matches against Serena. I thought they matched up very well with each other. Um, who else? There's we have to mention Justine Enno, who was one of the Absolutely. few people who beat Serena three times in a row at majors and quarterfinals. I thought they had excellent battles, and I loved their 2010 Australian Open final when Justine came back from retirement. Um, early days, we can talk about Lindsay. We can talk about. Lindsay Davenport, um, Martina Hingis. There's just, there's just so many eras to choose from. Um, we can talk about um, later on, we could talk about her Osaka rivalries. Um, even her match against Bianca Andreescu was interesting. Yeah, so you, you mentioned a lot of names and that's you know obviously something that we wanted to achieve on this show. You know, in terms of how Serena evolved as a tennis player, uh, you know, dealing with, for instance, you know, the the off pace of Hingis, you know, who she beat in that and win her first major title at the 1999 U.S. Open. Uh, you know, you know, she did grow up in the era of big babe tennis with Venus, with Davenport, you know, with Capriati, with the other big baseline ball strikers. But in weaving in and through that, you know, she had to fi- she had to figure out Hingis. She had to figure out Enna and that uh, legendary backhand. Uh, there, there certainly, there certainly were some variations of style. Um, you know, in terms of, in terms of how her game evolved. I mean, she obviously, you know, built her empire on, a, you know, one of the clutchest, best serves we've ever seen. Uh, I, I, you know, remarked during the Kovinich match, the first round match this past week, that you know when she would hit uh, the T serve from Ad. And the T-serve, you know, it hits the outside of the center line and it ends up hitting on the deuce side by the time it crosses the, the baseline. It's on the deuce side. Like that serve and then the Navratilova lefty can opener from Ad, the two most untouchable serves in the history of women's tennis. So, you know, Serena obviously had that fortress-like serve to so just lock everything down. But, and this gets into, you know, a very tennis-specific discussion about Serena Williams that, you know, all the different assets and qualities she had as a tennis player, she wasn't just a hitter and she wasn't just a server. She was a deep thinker. She had an acute understanding about the geometry of the game and how to construct a point. 
And I can't help but think that, you know, playing the Hinguses and the Ennas in the earlier part of her career, like those were the players who gave her the larger awareness uh, of how to play tennis, which, you know, she obviously could slug uh, from the baseline as well with, you know, with anyone, you know, no one would top her, but she did have these other uh, elements that she was able to integrate into her game, which, you know, as she got older, we saw more of it because, you know, she, she wasn't quite as fast as she was in her absolute physical prime, still considerably fast, of course, but not quite as much. And, you know, just losing a half step, you have to compensate for that. We've seen Rafa, you know, Nadal compensate for uh, the realities of just getting a little bit older. He's obviously still able to make those compensations, but, you know, without making those adjustments, the little things that, that wind up making a big difference, you know, he wouldn't still be able to stack major titles and similar for Serena. So, you know, in terms of how she evolved as a tennis player, you know, what, what do you think over the larger arc of her career, like as she got older, uh, as dominance became a little bit less assumed or automatic, you know, what were the things that you noticed in her game that you said, ah, you know, she's finding a way to cope with this particular problem. You know, what, what were some of the realizations you arrived at as you continued to follow this remarkable athlete? every step of the way. I would say one of the most underrated qualities about Serena is where she places the ball on court. And you kind of have to see her live or in practice to see how precise she actually is. Um, it's incredible. It's, it's just like this feeling that even though she's hitting the ball very hard, she can place it anywhere on the court, you know, with like within a drop of a pin, you know, it's just, it's just an incredible feeling that you have to see her live. And I think that's something that's been underrated about her career. I, I know everyone sees it on her serve, but with her ground strokes, that was just something that always really impressed me. And I didn't really get that feel from other players, you know, like, yes, they're hitting the ball in the court, but it's just that, that precise control that just was unique to Serena for me. Um, but one thing that I loved watching her career evolve under Patrick Muradoglu, um specifically was that just that that feeling of digging in, you know, like having those plan B, C, E's and expecting these players to play their very best about against a Serena. Um, that's something that she talked about and maligned a lot um, in her later years, but it's very true. You know, everyone is going to play their greatest match against Serena. And I would say that as she got older, maybe mentally that wore on her or chasing records wore on her a little bit, but you know, that mental toughness, that placement, um, just her angles, you know, the angles she can hit on court, few women or even the men are hitting, you know, I don't really see anybody hit those short angled boring ends. Like, Serena does and it's something I'm gonna miss but uh it's just her game became more complete you know it's like someone who has a deadly game is suddenly hitting more drop shots or feeling more comfortable coming into the net um we saw that even in her her last couple of matches at the U.S. Open I mean against Tomjanovich she was she was coming in and trying to hit volleys trying to be aggressive. Um, she knew she couldn't outmove these players anymore. And so she was just trying to adapt. And I thought um, compared to how she played in Cincy and in Canada that, you know, she was still very competitive and it made me kind of sad that she was stopping because I felt like she could have won against Tom Yalovich if a couple of different points had went her way. But, um, that, you know, I think she'll be happy knowing that she's going out still competitive. I think that's something that makes her super happy. I have to follow up on, you know, I mean, there's a lot of fascinating stuff there, Bree, but one of the especially fascinating points is when you mentioned that, you know, everyone tries to hit the ball hard, but Serena really tries to place the ball and she's not hitting it. She is, she is aiming for a very specific target or, and, and her shots just have a, a little bit more purpose than others. Like, Obviously, it's not the easiest thing to describe. It's one of those things where, like, you know, when you're live, you get a sense of, of how locked in an elite athlete such as Serena is. But, like, try to try to unpack this for our listeners here on the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Like, 
when you when you do watch her live, like what what gives you the sense that you know she's thinking through the match at with a level of granularity, you know, and specificity that her opponent generally is not quite matching. How do we kind of capture that essence uh, in terms of getting into the mind, the, the tennis mind of Serena Williams? I think you described it in a pretty good way, Matt, that purpose. There's always a purpose to every single one of her shots. You know, um, you may see players just kind of hit a nothing ball up the middle and you're just like, what, what are they doing? But if Serena's hitting up the middle, it's because she's trying not to, you know, let her opponent create angles on her or, She's trying to set up her next shot or it's just that purpose, that intensity, you know, it's, it's, it's focus. It's, it really is. It's just mental focus. You know, she doesn't take a point off. She's so intense about it. I think that's what I love about her and Rafa Nadal and the other greats is that there's no let up, you know, and when you think about real life and how hard it is to stay focused on anything, you know, even just watching TV for 20 minutes, people are looking at their phone or they're on Twitter or we're doing whatever. But just being in the present moment and being knowing your sole purpose in that moment is to just hit the tennis ball and get your win. I think there's there's nobody better at that than Serena. All right. One of the things we've referenced a couple times and, you know, it's going to be something that will continue to emerge whenever anyone discusses Serena Williams, not just uh, you and myself, Bree, is, you know, the, again, the interruptions in her career due to, due to these, you know, shattering events in her personal life in terms of her health. You know, she just she, and like this. Is, this so inter- these interruptions were not chosen. They, they these were hardships that fell upon her. And she had to reset each time. And so, you know, in terms of building herself back up after, you know, these, these life and career interruptions, you know, I'm sure that you and other people who've studied Serena Williams and who followed her avidly arrived at certain points along the path where, man, she's got to win this match. Or if not necessarily that, if she doesn't win this match, well, then things could go in a negative direction. Was there a particular moment from any of these periods where, you know, in terms of Serena Williams maximizing herself and and getting everything she possibly could out of her career, which of course she did, but, you know, was there ever a match or a moment where you were especially nervous? You were especially worried for Serena because, oh, if she doesn't cross this particular threshold, man, that is going to sting on a level that, you know, we as Serena watchers have never quite felt before. Was there kind of any uh, cliffhanger moment that you, that you felt and experienced over the past 15 years? I would say her 2008 U.S. Open tournament was that moment for me. Um, I had saw Serena won the Australian Open, and then she made four straight quarterfinals in majors. And I believe that's like her longest streak of making the second week and not winning a title in her career. Um, and I think that final against Yankovic, you can just see in her celebration after she won how she was just so relieved to, to be back on top and to kind of feel like her work was paying off. She had been runner up to a Venus, I believe, at Wimbledon that year. And, you know, there was no promising. You know, a lot of people were even saying, has the tour moved on from Serena? Um, we were looking at Justine being number one in the world until she just randomly retired at the French Open that year. We had Ivanovic, Yankovic, um, all, Dinara Safina, all these different younger players coming up. It really seemed like a pivotal moment that the tour could potentially be moving on um, until Serena won. And after that, she won the 2009 Australian Open, which is one of my favorite ones from her. She made quarterfinals at the French. She won Wimbledon that next year. And she won semifinals at the U.S. Open the next. So um, I I really think that was a fruitful and memorable period for her. Because if she hadn't have won in 2008, I'm not really sure if we would get the Serena who was excellent in 2013 or, or 2015, you know. Fascinating to hear that. Um, another Another person uh, that we need to talk about in this story, you know, we've talked a little bit about Richard and talked a little about Orisine, 
you have to talk about Venus Williams. Uh, and the, the, the thing I'm particularly interested in is that, you know, Venus is an older sister you know, by, by one year. I mean, so like there wasn't a large age gap, but nevertheless, we had Venus, you know, having her run at the 1997 U.S. Open and, you know, that 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 real first big introduction to her, to Venus, the semifinal against Irina Spirlea and and how contentious that match became. And, and you know, Venus made the U.S. Open final and, and, and announced herself that year. And so Serena was able to see that. And Serena had her big sister, you know, carving out the path. Uh, making her way through this very difficult and complicated world. I mean, certainly to an extent, I would have to think that, you know, having a sister in the same arena and being a, being a trailblazer that certainly had to help Serena understand certain things uh, about life on tour. But of course it was Serena who won the first major of the two uh, at the 1999 U S open. So how, how do we, see Serena Williams' tennis life uh, and career relative to Venus Williams. How, how did, what do the two mean to each other? I mean, obviously a bond as sisters, a bond as fellow tennis players, a bond as, you know, one of the great doubles teams of all time. But of course it's so much more than just the tennis. It's so much more than just, um, you know, what they have done in terms of championships and achievements. It's so much deeper than that. What do, you, what do you think is important about the story of Serena in relationship to Venus? Well, I mean, Venus is everything to the story. Um, I truly believe, like Serena says, that without Venus, there would be no Serena. Um, Venus is just the first. You know, she's the trailblazer. She, she's the big sister. I feel like she helped Serena navigate so many things in, in a tennis career that was openly kind of hostile to the Williams sisters when they first came on the tour. I mean, when we think about that Sperlea match, that's, that's like a 30 year old tennis player, like picking on a 19 year old, just because she's pretty good, you know? And uh, I, I just think that without Venus showing that steely resolve that she has always shown throughout her career, I don't think Serena would, feel as comfortable to keep going you know Serena's an emotional player things hurt her uh I've, Venus I'm sure things affected her as well but she doesn't show it as much to the public and what I loved about Serena's um final moment and her final speech on, in Ash this week was how she spoke so warmly and deeply about Venus and how Venus has always been there for her and she's her rock and she couldn't do this without her and seeing Venus actually get emotional for once. Um, that's not something we see a lot from those two regarding each other. And I don't think we will ever know how deeply Venus has inspired Serena or how much they mean to each other. But just as, just as an African-American coming into a sport where it's, it's predominantly white, I do think they're, their sisterhood was just so important to their careers. You know, we see how tough it is for Sloan and Coco and Madison Keys, Taylor Townsend, all these other players to navigate um, being a tennis player and, and all the things that come with it. And I'm just very glad that they had each other first coming up because it's hard being the first, you know, look at Tiger Woods. Um, he's had a lot of things and issues in his career, probably due to his family, uh, family's, vision for him and to being that one and only golfer at the time and not having anyone he could relate to and open up to. So I'm just, you know, I think we all have to be very thankful for Venus Williams for being the first and, and just creating that lane for Serena because without Venus, I don't think Serena would have the, the room to truly be as open and as, as vulnerable as a player as she's been throughout the years. One of the things as tennis fans, you know, certainly that, that I've, I mean, I've been a part of this before I started writing professionally about tennis, but also I see it in, in interactions with tennis fans, whether, you know, it was on message boards uh, two decades ago, or, you know, more recently this past decade on Twitter. Like I know that fans, you know, are very intensely interested in what's said in press conferences. Often the you know fans will pick on what, you know, a, a rival player says in pressers, but they'll also very 
deeply uh, will invest their time in looking at their own favorite players' press conferences. So, you know, this is a one small slice of the larger story of Serena. But, you know, in terms of her relationship with the media and in terms of how she handled the ups and downs of life on the tour, one of the things you mentioned earlier in the, in the, in the show was that, you know, the fact that she came back and, and continued playing after becoming a mom, you know, that that humanized her. So, you know, did, did you see a, a noticeably different Serena Williams, uh, you know, as a public figure, not, not so much the tennis player, but, you know, in terms of dealing with the media, in terms of handling the various pressures of life on tour, did you see a noticeably different person uh, when she came back after, um, you know, becoming a mom? Mm, that's a good question. I'm not sure if she was very, that much different. Um, Serena has always been kind of like a dual character when it comes to the media, because how she presents herself is so different to how the media has presented her over the years. Um, you know, the media, we've heard so many adjectives like intimidating or just fierce or you know, just kind of cold and like people didn't really understand her intensity. But, um, you know, when we see Serena off the court, she's very goofy. Um, Andy Murray told a great story about their when they played mixed doubles at Wimbledon a few years ago. And he was saying he was kind of nervous to play with Serena and she was just cracking all these jokes he couldn't really repeat <laughs> and press. Um, but he was just like, that was so disarming to him and made him feel comfortable. And he wasn't really expecting that from someone like Serena. So I think she's just kind of totally different. Um, off the court, we've seen Serena do like Serena on HSN and she, she'd get calls from all these lovely ladies who stayed up till midnight just to see her sell her stuff on TV. And uh, it, it was always a trip. She'd be so loving to hear their stories of inspiration and, and, and all the silly stuff she posts on social media. Um, I was watching a video last night where um, she saw two guys playing tennis one day at a park and she was with her husband and she's like, I'm gonna try to ask them if I can hit with the winner. And um, she's like kind of nervous to approach them. And she's like, I think they can recognize me. I heard them say my name. And, and you know, it's just like, of course they recognize you. You're Serena Williams. You've been on TV for the past, 27 years but um just just those moments I will miss because Serena has always been so much more than just a tennis player and um I kind of wish that the Williams sisters wouldn't have felt so antagonistic with the press sometimes and I can totally understand why they felt that way because you know when you go back to the Indian Wells incident um back in the day what was that 2004 2005 um what kind of started that whole thing was Dementieva going to the press and saying, mm, I think Richard is going to pick the winner of the semifinal between the two or whatever, you know, and it's, yeah, and the, the media kind of picked up on theory. that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, like nobody else, like we never heard those conspiracies about the McEnroe brothers or anything nope. like that. And, nope. and maybe Patrick wasn't as good enough to really, put that conspiracy into effect but that's not something we would hear about other players and that followed them a lot throughout their early years you know even until 2008 I would still hear people saying oh uh you know they don't really play full out against each other and they kind of pick the winner and it's yeah. like I don't think Venus wants to to lose to her sister at all um so it's just it's just moments like that um I kind of wish that the media would have been more empathetic to them when they were coming up. And, and I think that was also just kind of the culture around women's tennis around then, you know, a lot, we have a lot of good quotes from that era from Hingis and the Williams sisters and Capriati and all the others, because they were kind of pitted against each other in an antagonistic way. And I do like how the tour has kind of moved to a more not friendly kind of culture, but it's just like, these these players are rivals but they can also be friends as well and um i feel like that was something that was kind of lost when venus and serena first came on the tour it really did seem like it was us the other players against them um so um yeah that's probably like my one sad thing about their career is like i wish that the media they had a better relationship with the media both ways because 
When Serena breaks news now, she doesn't go to Tennis Press. She goes to Vogue. She goes to Time Magazine. She goes to, to all these other media outlets. And it would be wonderful for tennis media to get some of those stories as well. Final question, Bree. This has been absolutely wonderful. Um, looking beyond tennis, because we've—I think we've—we've we've talked about the tennis part of their lives uh, a lot. We've seen Serena and Venus, but Serena in particular. Um, you know, as we now look at what Serena Williams is going to do after her tennis playing career, and you know, Venus is probably not going to be playing too much longer, though. You know, she still loves the game and she's still playing it, but um, you know. These two women, Serena and Venus, they've both given more than anyone could ever possibly imagine to the sport of tennis. Like there is nothing uh, they owe uh, to tennis, you know, in terms of staying in it as a coach or uh, in any kind of uh, uh, position of influence within tennis. Um, what, do, what do you think is the next chapter for Serena Williams in particular, also Venus in terms of what you might see them do in the world uh, after after playing tennis. Uh, do you think that there is something, uh, let's, let's just focus on Serena in particular. Do you think there is something unique that uh, she is in good position to give to the larger world in terms of uh, you know, everything that her experiences have taught her? Um, you know, one thing is that, you know, like we've seen the women's basketball player, Maya Moore, you know, a great you know, all-star, best in the world, uh, women's basketball player, you know, take a break from her career to, you know, uh, dive into cr criminal justice, um, you know, in terms of uh, advocating for people, you know, who are unfairly um, uh, charged and imprisoned. You know, that's something that Maya Moore chose to do. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen an, an, some activist stirrings from Serena uh, in over the past decade. Um, you know, do you do you sense or do you hope for a specific avenue or, or line of involvement from Serena uh, now that her playing days are over? That's a that's a good question. I'm not sure where she will go. Um, she has so many opportunities. It's like I said, she's limitless. Um, she has devoted a lot of time throughout her career to charity um, and, and philanthropy. Um, she has two Serena Williams schools in Africa, one she opened in 2008 and one in 2010. Um, she's, she's been a UNICEF partner. Um, she's also got a, I, I forget exactly what it is, but I think it's a community center um, in Compton that's named after her sister that kind of does outreach within the community there. So she's definitely... Um, on her way with that as well. She's definitely experienced with that. I think right now her main interests are in business. That may be an influence from her husband, um, Alexis Ohanian, who's big in the tech world. But um, she seems interested in trying to give opportunities through investment. Um, she has Serena Ventures, which is primarily focused on um, helping African-American or minority companies get a, a leg up in their startups. Um, so I think that's something that she's going to be looking forward to doing. She's also does a lot of speaking engagements as she's gotten older. Um, I, I really don't know. I think her first big project hopefully will be having her second child, but I don't think we can rule out maybe seeing her in Australia. I mean, she seemed kind of vague about it and I doubt it will happen, but if Serena showed up in January, um, I would love to see it. Okay, well, I have to follow up on that. I mean, you know, you've mentioned it. I've seen a few people on tennis Twitter mention it, you know, because of how well she played at this U.S. Open. Like, do you have a – how how would you rate the chances? Like, are we talking a uh, 2% chance? Are we talking 10% chance? It's, it's tough. I want to say my heart says like 20% or less of a chance. But I don't know. The way she just kind of seemed reinvigorated with the – the help of Stubbsy, she just seemed really excited to play tennis. And that also could be due to, you know, knowing it's your very last tournament and you can give your all, you don't have to train anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just, the way she was being vague, but Serena's always vague, but um, I think we, there's but a something, chance. But something inside you, you know, created that stirring of, oh, maybe she might. Yes, yes. Something just the notable. way she was playing and 
oh man, just the way she was playing. I just felt like, I think you can do one more. And she said she yeah. always loves being in Australia. You know, why not, why not give yourself more time? Because I think in hindsight, I think Serena regrets not trying to practice earlier um, for Wimbledon because she said she was talking to Tiger Woods in her re- retirement speech. And he was like, Serena, you just got to go all out. Just practice real hard for two weeks and see if you still want this. And she admitted she she didn't go practice. She practiced one day and didn't go back for another week or so. But I I think with Stubbsy and if she wanted to go to Australia, she's got enough time to maybe, I mean, wouldn't it be very, wouldn't it be so Serena to get 24 and erase Margaret Court in her home slam? That, uh, that would be good motivation for Serena. But uh, as a movie now, would need to be made about that. <laughs> oh yeah. There has to be another movie. Um, and of course there incredible. needs to be a Serena Venus movie anyway. You know, we got King Richard. Now we need to have the, uh, the movie about Serena and Venus in terms of their, their full careers, because they certainly deserve it. Um, you know, yes. Brie, Brie, you know, that that's just a fabulous note on which to end because it's like the finale to a great television series and the <laughs> series ends and it just leaves you hanging that slight little bit. Like what's around the corner. Like you feel you have 99.8% of the story. And there's that one little kernel of doubt, like what's going to be, the next thing on the other side just an absolute perfect theatrical way to end this show brianna faust you can find her on twitter at the number four for the tennis uh you know been following serena williams and may i say providing great insights on serena and venus and the whole of tennis women and men she was a contributor for uh, for us uh, for a few years at tennis with an accent you know before the pandemic uh, hit uh, done some great work for us in the past Brianna we thank you for coming back after this special Serena Williams tribute podcast thank you guys so much for having me I really enjoyed talking about Serena um, what a what a legacy to, to leave on it's great